Hello, g'day. Welcome to the SBS Cycling Podcast for the week of the 8th of October 2015. This is your weekly review of all things cycling. I'm Al Hines. This week on the show, is it that time of the year already as the Giro d'Italia for 2016 gets unveiled by Signore Veni? Velocio Slam ends its tenure in women's cycling, but not without some parting words from its fearless leader, Christy Scrimger, as the tides have changed grip for women's cycling. And Aravadeci Ivan Basso calls it quits, and we'll look back at some of his career um, highlights. And lowlights. Yes, yes. It's also a happy birthday to Trent Lowe, who turns 31 today. Uh, so how about that? He'd probably be still be plugging away in the professionals had things not happened. Yeah, I, maybe I wrote, I don't know, did I write the last story on him? The definitive the, story? No, it wasn't definitive. I spent maybe four months or whatever working on the story and then it turned out, uh, who, who knows? I mean, it seems that some people go into what is now um, Cannondale Garmin and, or Garmin Cannondale and they thrive, uh, and that, such as Bradley Wiggins and... Many others seem to um, fall off the perch. Yeah, yeah. It's I think they caught caught up in I don't know the, the Jonathan Vorter's cell, um, and he does do quite a good job of you know saying well we're this iconoclastic team, but are they now? For me, they just look like any other. Did you team. say actually, all of this from Trent Lowe's birthday? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a builder now, and he seems pretty happy. I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago. His uh, girlfriend's a she's an illustrator and a bike rider. They're happy yeah. building houses that's in all Melbourne. You, that's all you need, isn't it, Rob? That's just, just as long as you're happy. I'm not sure whether on. building's the right thing to get in. I just read in the Finn Review yesterday that you know there's an oversupply of there's a glut. Well, don't don't apartments. don't pop his so balloon, as he's mate. Not, so long as he's not working on high rise, I think you know you don't. Hopefully, he's not working in the Docklands area. Well, I should say without further ado that with me oh. is Rob oh, yeah. Arnold from uh, Ride Media. Rob, hello. Instead uh, of a random voice, and uh, and Anthony Ten, of course, regular. Hello. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> and no Phil Gomes because he's no, just, no. he's up fishing no, up near Foster. No, no yeah. Phil Gomes. We do have uh, a very special Gone rundowns fishing. as well. There. They're printed in A3 because um, they just are. Yeah. So hopefully that will that will set the the uh, the theme for the rest of this fine. It's jaunt. like um, when you go to a high class restaurant such as Key and you get served like something very small on a plate that's very large. Yeah. And you pay a lot of money for it. So I guess you could say it. You, when you say it sets a tone, you mean it sets a high. Yeah, that, I know right. it's end of season and we said we'd be searching for a few things to talk about, but do we, do we, do we really have to talk I've about A3 sheets of paper? Yeah, because okay. I didn't see Let's the Duro presentation, neither did you, Rob. That's why we need to talk about the Giro presentation. All right. Uh, Alex, host this show, please. Yes, yes. Let's, let's, move, let's move into the Giro d'Italia presentation. Well, yes, uh, when I did say it is that time of the year already, it is indeed uh, October, and that is when we hear the Giro d'Italia route. We've got the Tour de France presentation uh, coming up and uh, the Vuelta shortly thereafter, although few, fewer people will probably pay attention to that, which was, I think, one of the big shocks of this year's Vuelta, even finding out that the first stage was 
on sand. But we do have uh, the Giro d'Italia to talk about first up. That is the first of the big grand tours to announce its 2016 route. And we already knew quite a few of the details. Uh, quite a few of them were leaked, which seems to be almost the standard these days. But uh, the start is in Holland. Rob, yeah. your, your fine country. How, uh, how do we do the Italian-Dutch uh, accent? I don't know. But, I, I, you know, we could talk in Dutch. Yeah. It, it's, I, I think it's... Uh, maybe you it's, could. It's <laughs> It's unbelievable that it goes to Holland yep. and then the transfer is to the tip of the foot or of the boot of Italy. So I'm cur- I was just going over it logistically as someone who hasn't had air transfers ever at, mm. a, at, a, at a big bike race and I've driven. I don't know how they're going to drive from Apeldoorn down to the tip of Italy with one rest day. And that's for, I mean, okay, the bike riders and a lot of the staff get flown, but mm. it's a logistical Operation. I mean, they did it from Ireland a couple of years ago, so obviously they can manage these. these yeah, things. I mean Denmark and. But it's putting a lot of uh, no, pressure and stress on the on. The, on I think this is something that comes up. I mean, actually, something we talked about with uh, maybe a few weeks ago when I spoke to Catherine Whelan, who's the EP for the SBS Tour de France broadcast, mm. and Rob, you obviously at this year's tour, but uh, you know, it, it is. I think this year's tour was one of, from all accounts, one of the most grueling, fatiguing tours as a. This year, as a follower, no, it was easy. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe from a broadcast perspective, logistically, it was a bit more uh, difficult. But I uh, did it back in the Jean Marie LeBlanc days. I can tell you, the transfers back then were were not considered. You, you just had to do them. The, mm. the routes were far more complicated back in the day before Christian Prudhomme took over. That's my take. But I mean, you know, it's things like the far, final day going from Grenoble to yeah, Paris, that was harsh. and you yeah. know, anyway, neither here nor there. But I do think that these things need to be considered in the way that you do plan routes because mm. that affects everything else. I mean, you're talking about the coverage of the entire race. Right. Well, you're looking at if you're talking about riders alone, that's they've they've got it easy, and and you see the map, and they've just got a picture of this big dotted line that at, just at, takes at people. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, if you think about the, there's a vast entourage beyond the riders. Obviously, everyone knows that, and I'm just curious how mechanics and everyone else cope with having to get the trucks and full of bikes all of that distance. Well, I mean, let's 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 actually spill it out for everyone because there are three stages in Holland. Uh, there's the there's the individual time trial, then two. Uh, relatively flat stages, good for the sprinters, and then this massive uh, transfer that you've we've all been alluding to. But that is right to the boot, mm. the tip of the boot of Italy, and uh, in Catanzaro. How do, how would you say that, Tani? Catanzaro. What is that? That's the that's where the start of stage four is. But that is that's a long, long drive for the mechanics, for the yeah. buses, for. Everything that needs to go down there. I'm, I'm sure it'll be great for the riders who mm. jump on a plane and get down there. But uh, for everyone else, that's. I mean, you're just looking at that. You know, you printed out the map on the A3 piece of paper, <laughs> Alex. It was and, A3, uh, wasn't it, Tanny? And uh, the the transfer line is actually almost a full semicircle, and it's only got one plane there. I think they might need to take two. Yeah, it's in, that far. Interesting. Interesting. Taking this very seriously as always, Tanya. Okay. Let, should we talk <laughs> a bit more about the actual the route? Yeah, yeah. So tell, we, us, tell us about it. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. By all means. By all means. Now, we've got... We're, it's probably we're starting what, with an individual time trial. We are starting with an individual That's time trial. That's something to celebrate for Giro. It's not a prologue. It's a, it's, a, it's not a team time trial. It's basically... It's the best part of 10K is 9.8Ks, which is, as we saw at this year's tour... 
not something where you should be sneezing at what other potential time differences are. We saw what Quintana lose about 30 seconds to Nibali uh, on the first stage of this year's tour. It didn't end up being decisive, but mm. they're not. we're not talking about nothing. Uh, as we said, the two sprint stages, and then we sort of meander through sort of the, the low country of southern Italy. Uh, some tough-ish stages, but to be honest, as openings to Grand Tours go in Italy and the last few years, this is probably a bit tamer. I think even Tom Dumoulin has said that he'd actually be interested in doing the course based on what he's seen. Um, Should we talk more broadly, Al, yeah. about how why people must be wondering why there's just always these starts abroad? I mean, and then also in the context of London eschewing their... Uh, earlier decision to host the Tour de France Grand Depart, I think, in 2017. So, but the reason is money. I mean, the, the Europe is in recession, you know, broadly speaking, like Eastern, Western, whatever, and the Italian towns simply don't have enough money. But when you speak with the London organisers, you know, they said it's relatively inexpensive compared to, um, you know, the Olympics or something like that. Apparently they got it for a song, you know, the, the, the rights to host the Tour de France Grand Depart. But I think it's just because it was so soon, you know, after um, the last time they did it. And then they've already got two races which end in London. You've got the Tour of Britain and then you've got that uh, Prudential Classic. So... They don't need to keep, I guess, going there. Piling on. Yeah, and so perhaps Holland is the only country with some money. I mean, that's why Germany has come up on the on the radar for ASO as a as, as potential a, as destination for um, to be having. Uh, I think they're going to have the Grand Depart perhaps in Dusseldorf. Yeah, Rob, what do you think of? Uh, yeah, I mean, Grand Departs or Grand Patenzas or whatever you want to call yep. them. Big starts. Big starts at uh, outside. Elsewhere. Outside, yeah. I mean, uh, is there? Uh, a, is I can there, only speak on my experience, and that is Tour de France related. So mm. I'm sorry to be talking about the Tour in October, <laughs> yeah. and even sorry to be talking about the Giro in October. Oh. I, I, at least the one benefit of these early launches is that people can prepare a holiday, and I think that serves the Australian public well. And this is an Australian podcast. But what do I think about uh, foreign starts? I love them because I just think they're they're enormous. I can almost I could quickly go through the list of the ones that I've done. I remember Luxembourg. In 2002 was a big, big deal Strasbourg. The, for the Tour de France. Strasbourg was in France, but we can pretend that it was a German start, if you like. Um, <laughs> that was a big deal. But for that was a big deal. And we'll talk about 2006 reasons. later because we're going to reference Ivan Basso, but we yeah. all remember those days. Uh, foreign starts. Uh, for example, Dunkirk 2001 was relatively Yorkshire. boring. But the best one for me was Dublin. It was just an extraordinary experience in 1998. We had the, the, the biggest news item in, in, in cycling, in sport, blow up. The while FIFA the World, World Cup. The FIFA while World the World Cup, Cup was going on. <laughs> but having, or certainly in our sport, we had the beginning of the end of, or beginning Festina. of what we hoped to be the end of doping. Mm. And, and it would drag on for many more years and it's still not finished. But the, 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 the reception from the Irish public in 1998 left a huge impression on me. And... Uh, 
And from that day onward, I remember just thinking every time the route was announced how pleasing it is to go to a different place. I think Nijmegen and Apeldoorn and, and, and Arnhem in Holland is going to be a great place for the Giro to begin. Is there, is and there I a... can say that as after coming out of Utrecht because that was just a, a stunning Grande Par for me. I thought it was wonderful. The fact that Holland happened to turn on the hottest weather they have ever done was wonderful this July. But the crowds tend to be a bit more enthusiastic than when it's a French start. Is there a point where it becomes a bit too novelty? I mean, I know that was like an idea floated a little while ago of a, an Eastern United States start to a, a yeah. Giro d'Italia. I think that New might York. have been, that might have been a, in New York. That would have been bizarre. That, that might have been an Acroni. When you start mixing in time zones, I think it's just too complex. Yeah. Even if you had a few days between. Maybe, you, I don't know. I, I, that, but we're talking intercontinental Grande Pars. That's never been done. Mm. Even just going from Ireland. They might have to enough. do that, Al, because this is no longer as good as the Grande Pars. And I agree with Rob. I mean, uh, yeah, Dublin. Uh, whenever you have it in a cycling-centric country, it seems uh, to go off as well, Like, which is why, you know, really? Rotterdam was good as well. Liège was uh, epic yeah, yeah. a so, couple of times. Yeah, I, I think the, my, my my I suppose just a counterpoint would be that you know when you've got these one of the things I really like about Grand Tours in general is the idea that you're sort of starting on a similar but slightly different canvas every year mm. and that blank canvas gets coloured in by the racing and the mm. riders and what happens mm. and the crashes or whatever so you've got these little plot lines that are drawn on what is a very similar map for all intents and purposes other than you know say the the tour goes reverse cl- clockwise or whatever. But the idea of bringing in these other uh, places, while great in some ways, mm. sort of devalues that a little bit because it's sort of bringing it away from, look, we're in France, we're doing the tour, we're going through these regions which we know mm. and or the Giro, we're going through southern Italy, we're going into the Dolomites, we're going... You know those places and then you've got the storylines which can yeah. unfold around that. Yeah, I understand that. But I, for example, for me, mm. if we're talking about big starts, I would say that... Corsica in 2013 was the mm. most beautiful. It mm. was the most southern that the Tour de France has ever been. And then to follow that up with the what was easily for me the most dramatic in terms of crowd, which was Yorkshire, that was just Phenomenal. incredible. Yeah. I've never never seen so many people go to a bike race. Yeah. And to go to the most northerly uh, beginning that the Tour has ever had, I thought that was a big shift in difference. And, and although it's not the canvas that you're talking about, that one that people are familiar with, it still it ignited the race. I mean, mm. if you look at the stages in Corsica, even if uh, they ended in sprints, except for Barcelona's little uh, episode in stage two, um, they were interesting and they showed off fabulous terrain and that's what bike racing can do and that's why there's these places like uh, Apeldoorn or Utrecht or um, all of these foreign cities bidding for it because it is that opportunity to get the helicopter shot and to expose the culture and and remind mm. remind cycling fans about places other than Italy, Spain, France, yeah. Belgium. I'm, I'm a bit torn. I'm sort of with you, Al. I could think from a purist point of view, it's nice to have at least, you know, it seems that every year it's, it's gone past the novelty factor, mm. uh, no matter how well it's received in another country. If they're going to go to another country i think they should go to somewhere where they haven't been before i mean why not go uh, i wish i don't know you know 
countries like Slovakia had the money to host a Grand Depart or something like that, mm. or any of these Eastern Bloc countries, they never go there. Mm. They always go. It's pretty kind of, safe generally. Where yeah, they, they go to choices. It's, it's safe choice is Western Europe. Yeah. Um, well, just quickly to go through there, of course, there are three rest days this year because of that massive transfer, which, as Rob, we've talked about a lot. Mm. Um, there's three time trials as well, including the one in Appledorm. There's a, a flat one in Chianti, 40 kilometres, and then a, uh, a short mountain time trial uh, up the Alp de Sisi. Uh, the last week is in the French Alps, largely as well, with uh, the stage to Rizul and... Uh, stage to Santa Ana de Venadio. Uh, those stages are quite interesting because they're quite short as well. Um, that 150, I think, is actually wrong. I think it's a bit shorter than that. I think it's about 131. But um, that should make for an interesting like final. I like, I like the idea of not too taxing a final week, even though I know there's lots of red mountains in there. But uh, it just means that you're not... You're asking the riders to do more rather than the route to do more, which I, I, I think is a, a better way to go about things. What do, you, what do you think about the actual, the fact that we're talking about this now? Well, I think it's... You I know, think, you, you ask about... Uh, we're we're, setting, we're a, setting the scene for what I is I know to it's come. relevant because they had the launch this week, so mm. that's why we're talking about it. But it, it feels... I feel ill at ease. I just sort of feel like we should be talking about Lombardia or Vincenzo. Oh, I thought you were or, saying... You know, like, I thought you were going to say... Why are we here? No, 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 no. Why are we talking about... Existential? I mean, because there is... Yeah. Uh, Existential I crisis. I don't know. I have one of those every week. This is that time of the year, though. There is there is a couple of weeks where you do draw breath and say, mm. OK, for road cycling at least, there's a little mm. bit of a downtime. We've got the Abu Dhabi... Tour. tour. Yeah. Abu Dhabi tour. Huge, huge. Everyone's excited Do you see about Fabio Ruiz? Is it yeah. just me or is all of that a little... The, the, the press releases... Uh, I don't know. Well, I, I read yesterday they had a, a sequence of quotes from riders and I think five out of eight said, I'm excited to be racing in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. And I thought, did they really say that? And then have a little, cla- you know, one of those thought bubbles over that rider who said that with a check <laughs> being exchanged from one of the, you know people with the white turbans or whatever and then but it's good that it's expanding the realm of cycling i mean only when did the tour of beijing cash for comment pretty much when did the tour of beijing stop was did they have a that was swan song last year that was the last yeah last year was last year left a big impact on me it left a big yeah well dave was it dave colbert used to do the media for it he used to talk it up oh yeah (laughs) he was uh one of the few yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah. but the, the the point is that the spot in the calendar's opened up, and Abu Dhabi's mm. jumped in, and it, and it yeah. looks like I mean they've got a phenomenal field. Sun, if you look at Sun it. Tour used to be there. Yeah. yeah, the good old days. Yeah, Commonwealth Bank Cycle Classic. Yeah. Anyway, um, Rob, uh, I think you're just getting a little bit dull with this subject, so it's all right. We'll wait till we actually get to the Giro d'Italia before we preview the Giro d'Italia. So we'll wait until then. But it's hey, you're the host. I'm just talking about what you want to talk about. <laughs> let's, let's move to music yeah, too. Yeah. You can you can find the full route of the 2016 Giro d'Italia online on the Cycling Central website, and of course, the race next year will be live on SBS. Well, it's the end for Velocio Sram and the end for Christy Scrimger, at well, least. Scrimminger. 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 Not the end. Well, the end. The end for the mm. team. 
the end for her involvement with the team. She's going to be pursuing um, more with her clothing apparel line, Veluzio, yeah. and uh, we wish her luck. But uh, it's been she's her her story has kind of followed a lot of the late current rise of women's cycling with things like uh, people like Tracy Gordry becoming involved mm. at the at the UCI uh, level. A lot more money seeming to flow into teams. Teams like Wiggle, Honda, um, people like Bradley Wiggins throwing their money and support behind teams. And uh, and more recently, we've had things like uh, live broadcasts, uh, more more regular uh, highlights packages for the World Cup mm. uh, series. And, uh, and that seems to be developing and going forward. It's a bit of a shame to see Velocio Sram out of the sport, but that's just the nature of sponsorship and I suppose the nature of cycling a little bit. You can have... Uh, sponsor- sponsorship uh, disappear on you in a flash, even at the top tier of the men. It's unbelievable to see how much she has done mm. for cycling. I mean, across the board, not women cycling, men cycling or anything, but for cycling in general, her effort and energy since even before she became a PR person or a team owner, she was a, a professional a athlete. Well. She wrote columns for Ride back in the when we started the magazine when she was part of the Saturn Timex team and I uh, Christie's I've, I've been friends with her for over 20 years and I've I've watched what she's done for sport and the, the the time and effort that she invests in in trying to get coverage no matter what it is the fact that she's behind women's cycling is is obvious because she used to race in that league she wants to she was aware of how how good it can be she's tried every initiative possible to bring it to a broader audience um, I think her collaboration with Bob Stapleton during the what what was the end of the uh, T-Mobile and the beginning of the high road days was phenomenal um, and then for her to make that personal investment in in what became Veloce SRAM mm. this year which was uh, what was it called last well, year? It was specialised Lululemon, yes, Lululemon, Lululemon specialised. And so we've seen yeah. these these four iterations of a team, each time having won the team time trial at the World Championship, and each team each time being a largely successful franchise. You know, for all intents and purposes, not even aside from and the the it, team time trial. Enormously backed, phenomenal rosters every year, and and and, and huge scope for PR. Uh, if you look at just the people who have been on the roster, that everyone has been so behind the, the initiatives that she's put in place. But it's in the end she's conceded. And, and, and I remember when she sent the, the press release saying that she was going to call it quits. And I said, well, I, my grandmother used to tell me a decision's better than no decision. And, you know, at least she can concentrate on Velocio, her, her sportswear company, and, and try and make that what it could be. And she might come back knowing mm. her she'll only... Be off the off the team radar for maybe a six months, and then she'll start thinking about I, it again. I, I might just read what she she said uh, in an interview with uh, another or no Kirsten Frattini from uh, Cycling News, who was a an old colleague of ours, Tanny, back in the day. Um, she said that the part of the women's side of the sport was not something that I, that's haunted me since I've stopped racing, but everything I did, I did after I was a racer, I've always strived to push for more women's coverage be it at Cycling News, uh, promoting the women's team at High Road. This is stuff that you mentioned, Rob. It was natural for me to want to push for the rights and opportunities of women. You just become really passionate about it and it's an enjoyable challenge when you see, when you can see change and see the way it affects people's lives. And uh, I think in all those ways that she's been a, such a huge advocate, trailblazer, pioneer, mm-hmm. I mean, you could use all those words, um, mm-hmm. in pushing that cart from a p- point which was... 
I don't know, you'd probably say line ball, whether a lot of the sport was even viable, uh, mm. the women's side of the sport. And now you're getting to that point now, I think, where it's increasingly professionalised. It's not there yet. I don't think anyone's saying that. But it's huge. It's evolved hugely, even in five years, I would say. Well, her influence is immense, the way that Christie's structured yeah. the Yeah, I mean, she, she seemed to adopt, well, naturally she adopted a very similar approach to her model as as Bob Stapleton did. But in the end, neither Stapleton nor Christie found a winning formula to keep the sponsors happy enough to have a, a, a really long-term investment. And perhaps, you know, for me, from a marketing background, I, I just think maybe sponsors only need a stain for it, as, as brutal as it sounds, maybe they just need a stain for the season to just get you know, notice or awareness of the brand. And then after that, it's very incremental. How, how If they put, push another 10 million bucks into the sport, if it's for a World Tour team sponsor or another half a million dollars for a women's team. The ROI what, what, isn't there. It's, it's just not there. I mean, mm. you just can, can keep talking about brand awareness and stuff like that, but that's quite a flaky metric, really. Um, in terms of the strides the sport has made, since uh, or she's been involved and also people like Tracy Gordry and lots of other people, uh, even Mariana Voss has become quite a big advocate at the top end on the mm-hmm. on the uh, Women's Commission and and, uh, and, and the like. Uh, they've, they did announce, which we forgot to mention last week, the, at Richmond that the UCI has officially made a women's world tour. I suppose this, for all intents and purposes, replaces the old World Cup series, but it does move it a step forward to a professional series Similar to the men, this is supposed to be the top tier for women's cycling. Um, 17 events on the calendar. There's a whole lot of uh, minimum requirements that they need to uh, meet to be on that, mm. among that 17. And uh, as part of that also, they've got to be producing uh, a daily highlights news feed, which they have to push out to the media. So all of that is... Is there a collaboration with Velon? Is there, I don't know. I haven't read too much about this. I mean... I saw that the announcement was made. Is is there going to be initiatives based on media support? We, we know that there's Velon is structured of all these uh, world tour male world tour teams, mm. and that that's where the sources of funding comes from. Is, does that apply to women's? Have we even heard from not, Velon? Not, we, we tend to not hear much from Velon. They've been pretty quiet, other than um, sending out a uh, Go GoPro uh, footage of a Tour de France stage every now and then. Because yeah. we're talking, if we're talking about women's cycling, we're talking about the need to give it exposure. And you're saying that the World Tour has got this this clause written into it that they need to do broadcast of it. But that's not to say that every every host nation is going to get behind it in broadcast terms, mm. nor that the audience is going to tune in to watch it. No, uh, no, what, no, no. You know, uh, it's, but but it is a bit of a horse and cart situation. It is very much because, so. I mean. I think that argument has been made for a long time that the women's side of the sport couldn't can't viably support it because it doesn't have the audience. Well, it does need to be in front of eyeballs to have an audience in the first place mm. and to grow an audience. Um, this is, I suppose, an initiative that they're trying to get to at least get to a point where, A, there will be cameras at races, that, that those cameras will have footage which will go to news organisations and at the very least if that's tagged on to cycling coverage which is already going out there and there's so many... 24-hour sports channels these days. They love just getting content. Just give it to them, give it to them, mm, give it to yeah. them. Um, yep. If at the very least that just gets people aware, you know, we talked about awareness, um, I think that could be 
something which maybe will get the ball rolling on, on that broader appeal. Because mm. Well, they, they have to give it away, Al, because no one's buying it. True, uh, true. But, uh, but that's, becomes, that's another problem in itself. Once you give something away for free, then to charge for it, it's like discounting something. Uh, it's very hard to then go back to a full price mm. model. I mean, and then especially when you're going to give something away for free, oh, the next year we're going to charge you for this. What I wonder, what I'd be curious to know from Christy is if the Olympic cycle has, has influenced her. You can imagine someone who backs a, a trade team in the women's scene, which is still growing and, and, you know, making small headway every year. But when it comes to the Olympic, is, is, is a lot of that... Um, investment that she's putting in emotionally financially uh, and every and you know physically just being there to, to make these things happen yeah is that going to be is that taken away from her by the IOC and if if so does the IOC contribute anything to to sport in general like I, I that's a broad sounds probably a stupid question obviously people are going to say of course the Olympics invest in sport but does is there a comeback for the so much of it, because it's so geared around the Olympic cycle, right. does it actually does it does that money flow through the rest of the sport, or has it become very narrow about the four year cycle? And- like we know that every member of the IOC is has their pockets heavily lined, but does that does it come back? And, and every host has to invest enormous sums into. I don't think sure the IOC puts feasible. much money into most sport. I mean, if you look mm. at what the IOC does. Most of the stuff, most of the money that goes into Olympic programs comes from governments, and most of that is based around doing well in Olympics. I mean, you've got AOC. AOC just is sort of tied to the Australian Sports mm. Commission. They just sort of get a huge amount of government money to go. Well, you got to do very well in these events and get gold medals because that's our metric. But I mean, I yeah, think, I, think I don't that- think they should contribute to any particular sport, though. But there should be a return. If especially in this, let's just say that it is influenced. They're, in not, so far, they're not fostering their own the, competition at all. Let's say a lot of people who are on Christie's teams will be representing their country, their mm. respective countries, at the Olympics next year. So if she went through to 2016, an Olympic year. She's subsidising them. She's subsidising, uh, yeah. So and the IOC by is, proxy. Is there, I don't yeah. this is a genuine question, I should look into it, but is there a return from the IOC for that kind of antic? I mean, you mean in terms of is there a return in them investing in people like Christy Scrimmager to Chris Scrimmager to actually to actually allow them to continue? Because mm. I don't know. I mean, that'd be it's a, that'd be a business question. But I mean, I don't know with the ISC be wanting to push money out that they don't have to because at the moment it is being supported by philanthropists, and while that is the system. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to be okay with it. Guys, let's, let's, I, let's, I don't know if I, I didn't answer anything there. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes you don't answer anything, Rob, but that's okay. Mm. <laughs> Just let's, can we have a quick run through the, the, the World Cup events? Yeah, sure. So uh, we got. Well, hey, Rob, don't call it the World Cup. It's uh, the World Tour. I mean, women, women's World Tour. I World like Tour. how, I mean, at least they've made that consistent. I mean, it was stupid to have a women's world. It's, you know, just for a broader audience, the understanding is, yeah. it's already difficult. To it brings it. it to the same level. I think it yeah. makes people understand that this is the top tier. Yeah. And I think it, most I just, of the riders that I speak to still call it the Pro Tour. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. And that's yeah. only been five or six years since it's been changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some even call it the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was, includes a tour of Chongming Island. That's uh, fairly well known. Tour of California, which is the women's race, which has only been going for a few years, but it is getting bigger. Mm. Uh, the Aviva Women's Tour, which I believe is the British mm. uh, women's tour. Uh, the Giro Rossa, which is... I guess the, the pinnacle, uh, would yeah, you say, Tanny? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Flesh Wallon, GP Pluet, Tour of Flanders, open, uh, but all three of those are uh, complements to the men's races. Uh, so that, those are big weekends and they'll be, they'll be even bigger now. Uh, open to Swear to Vagada. That's the two days where there's the single day race in Vagada and there's the team time trial, of course. Ronde van Dreth, that's just a classic. And then these are all classics. Trofeo Alfredo Binder, Philadelphia, which will be on side on the side of the uh, the, the big Philly weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strada Bianca, Gent Vevelgem, La Course is going to join the World Tour, which will be interesting, although that mm-hmm. might devalue some of the other races a little bit. I think I still think that's a bit of a crit compared to the rest of them. Um, I think the problem I know I'm just keeps playing devil's advocate here, but the thing is ten out of these seventeen events don't a, have their own individual a, a identity. A one-day one races. Okay. Uh, and so in, in total, it's only probably just over 50 days of racing. Oh, it's not, it, you know, if you want to, I think you were talking previously about this having a narrative to be able to follow the the world tour is 53 days out of uh, 365 enough. It's probably better than nothing. And I think at the moment yeah. that's that's kind of like the, the, the yeah. rationale that they've got to yeah. take. Yeah. Um, guys, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, someone uh, else. But just on the, on the scrimo topic, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'd just like to say a big thanks for everything she's done from, yeah. from back in the day when she wrote the columns for me. And I still remember one that stands out, how she went to a race and forgot her shoes. Um, but uh, and to think that someone who does that can be as organised and 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 as efficient as a PR person, team owner, sounds like uh, something I'd do. Passionate person in, mm. involved in cycling, she she impresses me no end, and I wish her all the best with what she's doing in the future. Yeah, and 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 we should also say that, as you said at the start, Rob, she's not ending her connection with women's cycling. She is just focusing her efforts on her apparel brand, and I'm sure we will see her um, fairly fairly involved in. Uh, in the sport in other ways in the future, perhaps mm. even with a, a team again Sounds one day Sounds like that brand is going head-to-head with her previous brand, <laughs> Lululemon, unless she's trying to take on the likes that's, well, of... Well, it's Lulu, actually Lulu, fabulous stuff. Well, Lululemon's a mega brand, but, yeah, Velozio yeah. is... I think that's why they had to give the sponsorship away. There couldn't be Lululemon and Velozio. Yes, anyway, yeah. let's uh, let's move on, guys. We've For got us one, poor one... people, we choose Aldi. <laughs> do you know they've got into cycling now? Really? Yes. What do they do? Clothes... Yeah, yes. nice. Yes. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Final t- topic of the day, Ivan Basso. Yeah, that's right, uh, Ivan Basso. That's a that that song, by the way, is from uh, the tour podcast. Yeah. Tune in if you want. There was some good stuff. Oh, in there. okay. I was I was no, shocked you, by the music. You're you're away, uh, Rob. It's I all was good. waiting to jam. Yeah. Uh, Ivan Basso he announced uh, just the other day he is calling it quits. Probably not that unexpected, considering uh, he had to withdraw from the Tour de France with testicular cancer. That seems to be in the clear. But he had surgery shortly thereafter, and it seems to be in the clear. But we'll obviously have to watch this space because these things can uh, have a way of coming back. But um, Hopefully all fingers crossed in terms of health, but I think he saw the writing on the wall anyway. His clear career has been a bit 
on the back burner for probably the best part of three years now. Um, and Tinkoff, he was definitely a bit part player. Looks like he'll be joining their staff in a role which they haven't fully announced or figured out yet by the sound of it. But I imagine he's got plenty of experience to give. Mm. But guys, what do we what do we make of Barso? This is another one of these guys who's retiring and has this reputation of simultaneously a champion. He won the 2006-2010 Giro d'Italias. He's um, a, a real darling of Italian cycling. Probably, uh, I mean, before Nibali came along, he was the darling. Um, but he's also got this this history. Um, Operation Puerto, his name comes up. Well, rather his his dog's name came up, I think. Was it Tanny? Mm. Um, and... Then this whole farce with what happened with him at Discovery Channel when uh, Johan Brunel tried to offer mm. him a lifeline, but we kind of knew that there was the Puerto thing hanging around and the way he was ejected from CSC, the way he explained his past. I think he said that he had he had gone to see Fuentes or he had made payments to Fuentes but never actually done anything. They'd never actually completed any doping. And I think that sort of was like this big this big lie that we sort of just had to swallow because it had become so farcical. And then that coloured the, the next few years because it was the Puerto thing was the same year as he won the 2006 Giro d'Italia. Mm. And then he when he came back, it was shortly thereafter that he won the 2010 Giro d'Italia. So, so it's basically I, what you're saying, Alex, is that it's an archetypal case of Italian cycling where popularity trumps... Uh, a sordid history of an athlete and it's it you know if you like i mean i don't know if you can say marco pantani set the precedent but i mean that there were cases before barca which shows that they're still you know uh they're still admired uh whatever they've done and so that irks me to some extent not to some extent to a large extent and yeah he, he will go to team management at Tinkoff Saxo so what does that say you know we if you go back to what say pro- probably outside of this Australian podcast you might not have heard of him but William Walker who said why do we continue to give these jobs to people it just reinforces uh um, the culture that existed or the culture mm. I mean it perpetuates something which is ideologically wrong. Mm. I, I have to check the results, but I think he got um, an under-23 world championship or at least a medal in 98 yeah, in, in I think Holland. it was silver. And, uh, and De, Luc- De Luca was also maybe on around the podium at that mm. time. And these two guys have had sort of... Uh, Interesting you know, careers. Yeah, they've come through their similar vintage and they've done similar things. You know, they both won the Giro and sort of not really won the Giro, if you know what I mean. And I know what you mean. And then and 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 we did a piece about uh, how how De Luca was a bit of a pantomime hero or something. I think was the wording that was used by uh, Herbie Sykes about De Luca, who's been we've referenced him in the past, and we a lot of people like to see him as the total. Um, Outcast, you know the idiot who just kept on doping. The, the Particularly, junk. I suppose, after his his second infraction. Yeah. But but and and Basso's he's been absolutely stained by doping with one hundred percent. But a lot of people tend to want to forgive him a little bit more than De Luca. But I think what's interesting, Basso is 
you can't paraphrase him in a couple of minutes discussion on a podcast. I think I remember when he first crashed out of the Tour de France in 2001, you know, we were going into Colmar, I think Jalabert won a stage. He broke, he was away with Jalabert at the time when he was riding for Fasa Bortolo. He crashed, he broke a collarbone. That was a DNF. The next year he comes back, he wins the white jersey of the Tour de France, I think from memory 2002. And then he went on to become the true... You know the the, the true heir apparent uh, for Italian cycling, or the... yeah, but he was taking on Armstrong, and you know they, they, he won his stage in La Mangie, and the pair of them went through this tunnel of noise together, and it looked like deals were being done on the bike, and and you you never you, you really like to be privy to what that was what was being exchanged in those discussions when when Basso was with CSC and Armstrong was in his you know his first final years of the Tour de France or his second final years of the Tour de France two thousand mm. and five, and 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 then. Basso came back and he was to be as defending as as the runner up from the year before when he went to, to the start of 2006 he was mm. essentially the favorite but it didn't ever come to that did it because mm. he was you know shipped out maybe the, the, maybe the sport was better off that Basso never won a tour or never got the opportunity because it might have even though in the end the guy that won 2006 didn't really help the cause but no perhaps um, that's what but it was just gives him some popularity, though, because, because he never got that hyper popularity that he. Yes, I mean, look, you know, they were both, you know, Barso and Armstrong were both doing doping. Um, yet, you know, I remember, yeah, when you went to the Tour de France, you know, five, and you know, he, he was challenging. It was like, oh, he's he's the everyone knows Armstrong's dirty, but Barso, oh, he's the clean guy. You know, he's the one who's he doesn't get there. The almost. Mm. Ran and so that way, kind of, uh, in the same way, like Pulador, you know, sort of gave rise to, you know, people felt the sympathy for him, yeah. and then that coloured, I suppose, what happened yeah. thereafter. Yeah, he's he also- presented very well. I remember yeah. in two thousand and five when he was runner up in the tour. There was a rest day in the Pyrenees, and I was friends with the Swanure of CSC, and she was helping me out with some ailments that I had. She was literally giving acupuncture and Basso walked into the room and and he said ciao I am Ivan and I was sort of like yeah I kind of know that on account of that you just won a stage in the Tour de France <laughs> and you're second overall but he was very humble and he and I remember I f- we finished the acupuncture treatment and we sat on the lounge and we talked for a good hour and a half about going paraponting with or what I'd done on the rest day and he wanted to talk about his kids and I was talking about my newborn and, and he was very approachable and easy to talk to and and I don't speak a Spreckle of Italian, but his English was, even though it was a third or fourth language, he was speaking very, it very well. Yeah, yeah. And 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 he was re- really easy and engaging to talk with at the peak of his powers, you know. And I, I met him again in May two thousand and six, uh, and we shared a hotel during in the week between Flesh Wallone and, and Liège Bastogne Liège. He would come into the to the breakfast room and say hello to almost everyone. And and he was a really uh, enlightened character. He was very nice, and that was at the that was about two weeks before the big, two or three weeks before um, the Giro, which he dominated. And then on the twenty third of May two thousand and six, mm. the big bombshell of Puerto hit, and it wasn't until Strasbourg that he was evicted from from mm. cycling for a long time. Anyway, I could talk about him forever. We, I remember we, we, these instances. Of- we, we could go on. Here's the last, I suppose, of the. True Armstrong era Ackle or guys that is sort of hung around, you know. I mean, Ulrich, Basso, Armstrong. That was sort of the the triad, you know, the the trio yeah. of, mm. of of characters who sort of were going on. And then Ulrich had a very quick end after Puerto. Well, a very drawn out but 
he he didn't really ride again after uh, that that uh, fateful day in Strasbourg. Uh, same uh, Barso did actually get a chance to ride again and in won the Giro mm. d'Italia. So mm. he's the one one of the few guys that sort of had a another chance. But uh, maybe this will finally, in some ways, even though he is joining management, which leaves me slightly uncomfortable. It might actually allow people to talk about these things a little bit more. Openly. It probably shouldn't even leave you uncomfortable, Al. Like it's, I mean, it should just piss you off because it should. It's part of the course. This is this is cycling. I mean, you know, Rob went on about his likable character, his personality. That's again, you know, like Ulrich also had a likable. You know, he he was humorous and stuff like that among mm. his teammates mm. and mm. things like that. This is the thing, you know. That's why Armstrong should not be so reviled because he he was he was um. He's just the same as the other uh, others in terms of what what he did. I mean, they all doped. It's just differentiating their personality. That, that doesn't make them less of a doper. Yeah, but yeah, that's a story that you can't paraphrase. You can't paraphrase. There's a lot mm. to it. And uh, anyway, that is the end for Ivan. But uh, well another chapter anyway we'll uh, leave it there guys thanks for joining us for everyone else who's listening uh thank you as well you can find suckling central on twitter at suckling central rob is at ride media hq or at rob ride media tanny's at anthony underscore tan i'm al underscore hines this podcast is also available directly on soundcloud and on itunes and that's it bye for now